your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 239 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I am your host, John Chick. Hope everybody had a nice weekend. Today, we're going to be doing the latest version of this week in New York Ranger history. We've got an insane losing streak, uh, the first win in Ranger franchise history all the way back in 1926, and we're also going to take a look at a memorable shootout from just five seasons ago. We're also going to be talking about the latest from the NHL as far as the plans for next season are concerned, but first... We got to start with something fun, something exciting, some light news here. The Lady Liberty jerseys are back. The Rangers are going to be rocking the Lady Liberty jerseys for the first time since the 2006-2007 season. Basically, the NHL is doing a reverse retro series with Adidas, and the Rangers naturally going to bring back the Lady Liberty jerseys. So for anyone who hasn't seen this jersey or anyone who needs a refresher, I mean, you can Google it in about two seconds, but I also realize some of you might be driving right now. Some of you might be some younger fans. Maybe you've never seen the Rangers wear the Lady Liberty jerseys. Uh, Basically, what it is is the logo features uh, the face of Lady Liberty, just looking straight ahead right in the center of the jersey there. And then just under Lady Liberty are the initials NYR. And all of it, you know, the Lady Liberty face and the New York Ranger letters, the NYR, they all sit sort of on top of the classic Ranger shield. So I like it. It's a really sharp logo. Uh, The color of the jersey itself is a little bit different as well. It's definitely a darker shade of blue. It's a little bit different. I know a lot of people prefer the classics, you know, the Rangers written in diagonal across the chest there. I mean, I love those too, don't get me wrong, but I do like the idea of bringing back this jersey, at least for a couple of home games next season. There's no word yet on how often the Rangers will use these alternative jerseys, these Lady Liberty jerseys, but that might also be because we don't even know how many games they're going to play next season. We don't know how many regular season games the NHL is ultimately going to schedule for next season, so we'll see how often the Rangers break out the Lady Liberty jerseys, but I think it's cool. They are really sharp jerseys, and we haven't seen them, at least not with any sort of regularity, in about 13 years here. So definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it will be cool to see them rock the uh, the darker blue and the Lady Liberty logo every now and then. Uh, It does give me some pause, though. Now, don't get me wrong. I I like these jerseys. I really do. But I think back to the era of Ranger hockey when the Rangers would primarily wear the Lady Liberty jerseys, and they didn't do a whole lot of winning back then. Basically, what happened was they started wearing these jerseys in 1996, and they kept wearing them in one form or another through the 2006-2007 season. But the Rangers very rarely made the playoffs back then, and... I do remember, you know, the 1996-1997 season. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Wayne Gretzky had joined the team. The Rangers basically were kind of on their last legs. It was really that core group's last chance to win a Stanley Cup because, of course, they won the Stanley Cup in 1994. And then in the 1997 Stanley Cup playoffs, they at least made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They had a chance. You know, they knocked off the Devils in the second round of the playoffs. So that season was actually a lot of fun, even though they didn't quite uh, reach the goal of winning another Stanley Cup. But They made the playoffs that year, and then they missed the playoffs for a bunch of years in a row. They were really a directionless franchise, and all the while, this is the time frame where 
they are wearing their Lady Liberty jerseys. And of course, the jersey itself is not directly responsible for that. But when I think of this jersey, I can't help but think of some tough times for the Rangers. A lot of losing and the playoffs basically becoming a foreign concept. Now, they eventually did make the playoffs in 2005-2006, as well as 2006-2007, which in that time, they were still wearing uh, the Lady Liberty jerseys, at least on occasion. But all those years in between, the Rangers did not make the playoffs a single time. So and you got an eight-year playoff drought, which was also the same time frame where they were wearing this jersey. So it's really kind of hard, again, as a Ranger fan, not to think of losing when you think about this jersey. But the thing I like is that they're not going to certainly get rid of the classic New York Ranger jerseys. I get the feeling they will wear the traditional jerseys with the Rangers written in diagonal across the chest. I get the feeling we're going to see that more often than we'll see the Lady Liberty jersey. But the Lady Liberty jersey, it'll be fun to see it every now and then. A little bit of a throwback for the Rangers next season. And the Rangers debuted these jerseys in 1996, which I always thought the timing of that was very strange because they had just won the Stanley Cup two years ago. So why mess with success, right? I mean, look, again, I realize it's just a jersey. The jersey itself has no bearing on how the Rangers are going to do that season. But I don't know. For me, I always like the idea if a team is going to change its jersey or its color scheme or its logo or even its team name, the time to do that to me is when you've been losing a lot, when you're kind of this downtrodden franchise that just hasn't been able to get anything going. And I think a great example of that, if I could just switch sports for a second here, look, I know a lot of us are Yankee fans. A lot of us do not like the Tampa Bay Rays, but they, for about a decade when they came into the into the league, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays were synonymous with losing. They were losers. They came in dead last every single season. Now, I realize when you're an expansion team, you're going to lose a lot. Being in the American League East at the time, that obviously did them no favors either because that was a very tough division. But the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, when you said that name, you think losers. That's all that came to your head. And so then, finally, they decided, okay, let's change up the logo a little bit, and instead of calling ourselves the Devil Rays, let's call ourselves the Rays. And lo and behold, the team went to the World Series that year. Now, again... It's not just because they changed the name. But to me, you want to switch something up when things are going bad. You don't want to change things when everything's going well. I mean, think about it. The Rangers had just won the Stanley Cup in 1994, and they had broken a 54-year drought. And then two years later, you're going to go around and change the jersey and change the color scheme and change the logo? I mean, if anything, you would think that they would have done that in year 48 or 49 of the Stanley Cup championship drought, not two years after you break the streak. I... I the timing of that just always was strange to me, and it still is to this very day. But as far as bringing them back now, I do like it because it feels like we're kind of entering a new era of Ranger hockey. You know, we've talked at ad nauseum on here about the Ranger rebuild and how it's going in the right direction. And obviously, you know, the team made the playoffs. Yes, I know it was a 2014 tournament that helped them out a little bit, and they got eliminated in the qualifying round. But bottom line, they still played postseason hockey. They still played a playoff series against an opponent. So they're back in the playoffs. They're coming off of Artemi Panarin's first season with the team. They just drafted Alexi Lafreniere with the number one overall pick. Capo Caco is entering his second season. Igor Shosturkin is entering what is going to be considered his rookie season because he didn't play enough games this past year for it to count as his rookie season. So it really does feel like a new era of Ranger hockey. And if you want to go into a new era by messing around with some alternate jerseys and bringing back the Lady Liberty jersey, then I'm all for it. I think the timing makes a lot more sense this time around than it did the first time around. Just my two cents. Bottom line, I think it's a really cool jersey. It's really sharp, and it will be fun to see them uh, rock the Lady Liberty jerseys at times in this upcoming season. We'll 
wait to see how often they're going to be wearing those jerseys. There's no word on that yet. Again, part of that might be because we don't know how many games the NHL season is actually going to play in the regular season. The Rangers are probably still figuring out how often they'd like to wear the Lady Liberty jerseys. But yeah, sign me up, bring it back. I know Tony D'Angelo is really excited. He's been uh, kind of campaigning for it on social media a little bit. And now he gets his wish. He's going to get to wear the uh, Lady Liberty jersey this season, along with the rest of the New York Rangers. And it should be a lot of fun to see the Rangers break out those jerseys on occasion next season. Just wanted to take a minute to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Built Bar. It is the best tasting protein and energy bar that I have ever had. It's kind of hard to explain. You just have to experience it for yourself. It's got real chocolate, amazing flavors, and unlike a lot of other protein bars, energy bars, you don't need a gallon of water to get rid of that weird, funky aftertaste that sometimes comes with the other bars. It's just good, and it actually kind of tastes quite a bit like a candy bar. It has an amazing combination of low calories, high protein, and low sugar. There are no crazy additives, and if you compare it to the most popular men's bar, Cliff, it is half the calories, seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and more protein. How can it be that good and taste that good? I don't know. You just got to try it for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off of your first box at BuiltBar.com. Once again, use promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. Okay, this week in Ranger history, and this first one, I'm going to warn you guys right now, it is not pretty. Uh, It is not a specific date. It's not like it happened exactly on November 15th or November 16th or anything like that, but it's just a general time frame in November of 1944. So the Rangers in this season, the 1944-1945 season, they started with 11 consecutive losses. They then got a 2-2 tie against the Montreal Canadiens, and then they lost their next three. An 0-14 and one start to the 1944-1945 season for the New York Rangers. They finally won their first game at home against the Boston Bruins on November 16th. They defeated them 6-4. And in case anyone's wondering about what kind of a season the Rangers had as a whole that year, I think you can probably take a guess here, but I'll let you know anyway. So their final record, they won six games, they lost 39 games, and they tied five games. Their goal differential this season in 50 games was minus 148. So basically, the average Ranger game that season resulted in them losing by three goals. That was an average Ranger performance that year, a three-goal loss. And it's also important to point out that there were only six teams in the league that season. It was the original six. You got the Rangers, the Canadians, the Red Wings, the Maple Leafs, the Blackhawks, the Bruins. And I think... With there being that few teams in the league, a horrendous season like this becomes more of a possibility, whether it's the Rangers or anybody else, because any given year, you know, you've only got six teams. Any single one of those teams could just drag behind the other. They could simply be that much worse than the other five teams in the league. And that's seemingly what happened here. I mean, I don't have any other explanation for this. You go six, 39, and five, and they basically just got wrecked on a night in and night out basis. Uh, Their best record against any one team that season for the Rangers was against the Bruins. They went 2-7-1 against the Bruins. Uh, Their worst record was against the Montreal Canadiens. They went 0-9-1 against Montreal. And the amazing thing here is that this is a Ranger team that won the Stanley Cup just four years before this. And I realize, again, there were only six teams, so obviously it's a little bit easier to win the Stanley Cup. I don't want to make it sound like it was easy, but look, One team out of six is going to win the Stanley Cup. That's better odds now than you get this year with 31 teams being in the league. 
And the other thing about having six teams is that going from first to worst or vice versa, it probably wasn't as dramatic then as it is now, but this is just a historically awful season just four years after a Stanley Cup victory. Six, 39, and five. It truly is remarkable. For anyone wondering, uh, the Canadians won the Stanley Cup this season because of course they did. They swept the Blackhawks four games to none in the Stanley Cup finals. And listen, I know we've all had to endure some challenging seasons as Ranger fans. And I mean, there's people out there. We might have some Yankee fans, some Mets fans, Giants, Jets, Knicks, Nets. And maybe there are some of you out there that even root for teams from other states, from other cities. But... We've all had to endure some tough seasons with our team, one way or another. But the next time you think your team is having a rough season, just think about the 1943-1944 Rangers who won a grand total of six out of 50 games. That is rough. Let's go to a happier moment in New York Ranger history. Here we're going to go back just five years to November 14 of 2015. The Rangers are playing at the Ottawa Senators. The game goes to a shootout. Each team scores once in their first two opportunities. So it is tied going into round three of the shootout. And Henrik Lundqvist comes up with a tough save against Mika Zibanejad. This was Mika's final season with the Ottawa Senators uh, before the Rangers traded Derek Broussard to the Senators in exchange for Mika Zibanejad and basically just annihilated them in that trade. And I'm a big Derek Broussard fan. You guys know that. But facts are facts. The Rangers absolutely crushed the Senators in that trade. Derek Broussard for Mika Zibanejad. Now, going into the shootout attempt, Mika was 11 for 22 in his career. And he tried that move. You know, we've seen him do this move a couple of times. I don't know if Hank had it scouted or what. But basically, Mika goes in and he looks to pull the puck to his backhand and try to roof it from there. And we've seen him pull that off time after time after time as a member of the New York Rangers in the shootout or just going in on a breakaway by himself. But Lundqvist moved to his right, got just a little bit of a piece of it to deny his future teammate. So now the Rangers have a chance to win it. And who do you think takes the shot for the Ranger here? This is the game clinching shot. I will spoil it a little bit. The person scored the goal here. So who do you think took this shot for the Rangers? Maybe Rick Nash, uh, Derek Broussard, Matt Zuccarello, Chris Kreider. Nope, none of them. Derek Stepan. Nope, wasn't him either. It was Dan Boyle. Boyle went into this 10 for 37 in his career. And you guys remember Dan Boyle on the Rangers. Really did not have a great tenure here. Uh, he played the last two seasons of his career with the Rangers, but he came through here. Basically, he went in toward the net on the shootout here, very wide, kind of up the left wing. He comes back in and basically just takes a wrist shot, gets it past Craig Anderson, and the Rangers win. And that was their eighth consecutive win at that time. They went on to make it nine wins in a row. So obviously, a very fun Ranger memory there, seeing Henrik Lundqvist actually deny Mika Zibanejad before they became teammates, and then uh, Dan Boyle sealing the win for the Rangers by scoring in the third round of the shootout. We'll do one more here, and this is about as far back in the time machine as we can go. We're going to go all the way back to November 16th of 1926. The Rangers played the first game in the history of the franchise, and they won. They pick up a one nothing win at home against the Montreal Maroons. Not only that, but the Rangers actually went on to win their division that season as an expansion team. Basically, the way it worked, you had 10 teams in the league that year. You had the American division and the Canadian division, which is actually kind of funny to be talking about right now because I know there's a little bit of conjecture as to you know how this upcoming NHL season is going to work. And one of the ideas is that the Canadian teams, they would all be one division. And obviously, that would uh, eliminate a lot of the travel as far as going back and forth between the American and Canadian border. So it is kind of interesting that current day right now, we're talking about maybe having just a Canadian division, and here we're going back to 1926, and we indeed did have an American division and a Canadian division. So the American division had the Rangers, the Boston Bruins, Chicago Blackhawks, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Detroit 
Cougars. And then the Canadian division had the Ottawa Senators, the Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal Maroons, the New York Americans, and the Toronto St. Patrick's slash Maple Leafs. So it was obviously a very different world back then as far as the NHL is concerned. The way it worked as far as the postseason, the top three teams in each division made the playoffs. So you got six total playoff teams. And since the Rangers won the American division, they got a buy into the semifinals and they end up playing the Bruins that season. And wait until you hear about how the playoffs worked back then. And, and this is something that as I read it today, it sounded vaguely familiar to me. I believe I've heard of this in the past, but it's something that I really haven't thought about in a very long time. Basically, in the first two rounds of the playoffs, opposing playoff teams would play, rather than a series, they would play two games against each other. And the way it worked is it all came down to goal differential after the two games. Now, obviously, look, the Rangers and Bruins, uh, if the Rangers had beaten the Bruins in both games, obviously they win and they move on. But if the teams split, it comes down to goal differential. So if the Rangers beat the Bruins 6-1 to in the opening game, and then the Bruins beat the Rangers 3-2 to in the second game, then the Rangers would move on because they would have the advantage in goal differential, which is very, very interesting for so many different reasons. I would think, you know, in game one of a playoff series back then, it would probably make the team that's trailing really think twice about pulling their goalie because think about it. If you're you got this two-game playoff series, and you know that the whole thing comes down to goal differential, right? So if you're trailing, say, 3-2, to two, and it's the last minute of game one, do you really want to pull your goalie there? Because, yeah, you have a chance to tie it, but there's also a very good chance that they're going to score an empty net goal, and now you lose the game 4-2 to two instead of 3-2, to two, and you go into game two of this series having to make up a two-goal deficit right from the opening faceoff. So food for thought there. I don't know how teams approached it back then, but I would think for sure, at least in game one, uh, you would definitely have to think twice before pulling your goalie. And then the Stanley Cup Finals, this was even stranger. It was basically a best of three, but there were ties. You could tie a game in the Stanley Cup Finals, and the game would just end in a tie. And the way it worked was the two teams that were participating in the Stanley Cup Finals, they would just keep playing each other until somebody won two games. So you could have a tie and another tie, and then Team A wins, and then you have another tie, and then Team B wins, and then there's another tie. It could just keep going on and on and on like that. Basically, if the team's tied, you just ignore it. It's like it never even happened. The game ends, you skate off the ice, and you move on to the next game. And in this season, the Rangers, of course, like I mentioned, they lost to the Boston Bruins in the semifinals. The way it worked was, again, with that goal differential weird tiebreaker deal— the Rangers and Bruins in game one of that series, if you can even call it a series, they played to a scoreless tie. So you go into game two, it's winner take all. Whoever wins the game moves on. And uh, the Bruins won that game three to one. So they win the series based on total goals, which they, of course, won three to one. So they move on to the Stanley Cup Finals as a result of that. They play the Ottawa Senators in the Stanley Cup Finals. And again, remember, it's the team that wins two games first. So the Senators and Bruins in the first game play to a scoreless tie. So you throw it in the trash, basically. It's like it never even happened. You move on to the second game. The Ottawa Senators win that by a score of three to one. So the Senators now lead the Stanley Cup Final uh, one game to nothing. The third game of the Stanley Cup Finals, they tie again. They tie one to one. So again, you take that game and you throw it in the trash. It never even happened. The Senators still lead the series one game to nothing. And then you move to a fourth game, and the Senators won that game three to one. So technically, the Ottawa Senators won the Stanley Cup Finals two. To zero to two. They won two games. They lost none. They tied two. They're the Stanley Cup champions. That's how it worked back then. Would have been interesting to see what would have happened if the Rangers had made the Stanley Cup finals. Would have been wild to see a team uh, as an expansion team 
make it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Even back then, even when there's fewer teams in the league, that's still obviously a, a tremendous story and one that the Vegas Golden Knights actually repeated just a couple of years ago, but they, of course, lost in the finals to the Washington Capitals. But obviously a very successful uh, first season for the Rangers. I mean, again, there's only 10 teams in the league, but you win your division as an expansion team. That's got to be considered uh, a very successful expansion season. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about an article that I saw on NHL.com. It is by Dan Rosen, and it's basically giving us all as much of an update as possible on the status of the upcoming NHL season. Obviously, there's a lot of things in limbo here. There's a lot of questions that still need to be answered, but this at least features a couple of quotes from Bill Daly, who is the deputy commissioner of the NHL, and a couple of quotes from Bill Daly as far as where things stand right now. Basically, the NHL is seeking flexibility. It's seeking the best, most efficient, safest way to have an NHL season with the pandemic still very much a thing. And got a couple of quotes from Daly here. Uh, he says, We have to build in flexibility for the hiccups that we expect will come along and have to expect will come along with potential COVID positives and contact tracing requirements. Some of the difficulties that Major League Baseball went through and some of the difficulties that the NFL is currently dealing with, how do we address those situations in the context of our own schedule? Those are all the things we're working on, and those are all the things that keep us up at night as we try to figure this out. According to Daily, the NHL and the NHL Players Association are considering a kind of a hybrid schedule, I guess you could call it, where uh, teams do get to host games in their home arenas, but then also another portion of the schedule that requires all teams to play in hub cities. So again, this is very much touch and go. Uh, he also mentioned that the NHL is still looking on starting the season on New Year's Day, January 1st for this upcoming year, and that opening night or opening day, wherever it's going to be, will be preceded by two-week mandatory training camps, and all of the teams that missed the postseason this past year, the seven teams that did not make the 2014 playoff tournament, will get an extra week to get ready for season, given that it's been almost calendar year since these guys have played any kind of real hockey. Uh, they haven't played in any games since last March. He also mentioned that the NHL is considering to allow teams to hold optional conditioning camps prior to the mandatory training camps. As far as having fans in the arenas, at least at a limited capacity, that is still very much up in the air. He also said that if at any point the NHL decides to use hub cities for its upcoming season, the restrictions on what players can do and where they can go, they won't be as uh, strict as they were this past season. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works. Obviously, nothing is set in stone here. A lot of this is just we're still kind of in wait and see mode. Daily mentioned that the NHL and the NHLPA are in constant dialogue about how many games each team is going to play next season and what the division alignments are going to look like. And he also acknowledged that he believes, frankly, that they're starting to run out of time here. This is what he had to say about that. He said, look, we know there is some urgency here. There is some urgency for making decisions. And while we want to drop the puck on January 1st, we also recognize that we're not going to rush into a bad decision just to make it. Whether that January 1st can be a little later, we certainly have flexibility to move it later. We are in regular communication with the clubs. I think the players and the clubs have a fairly good understanding of what a January 1st opening would require. And so to sum this whole thing up, I think we can kind of agree that right now there are still more questions than there are answers. It's good that the NHL, the NHL Players Association are working together, trying to come up with a plan for next season that makes sense, that keeps everybody safe. The one thing that I think would be insane to do is to expect every single player in the NHL to play an entire 82-game regular season and then all the postseason as well while staying in a hub city and staying in a bubble. You can't ask anybody to do that. I think just about any normal human being would go crazy under those conditions. So it's good that it sounds like the NHL is not actually considering that as an option. But again, it sounds like there could be a little bit of a hybrid schedule this year where teams are holding some 
games in their home arenas, but then there's also going to be portions of the season where they're in a hub city. I still remain very skeptical that the season is going to begin on January 1st. That seems like a very ambitious goal. I'd love to be wrong about that. If they can get some uh, good safety precautions put into place and they feel like they're ready to go, then hey, more power to them. And obviously the NHL did a tremendous job with the bubble for the postseason. No COVID cases whatsoever through five rounds of the playoffs. So that was fantastic. But my gut feeling here, are we indeed just six weeks away from the beginning of the NHL regular season? I don't think we are. I get the feeling it's going to end up being pushed back at least a little bit. I mean, you still have to have training camp. You still have to have practices. I don't know if there's going to be any preseason games. I would think they're probably give at least you know two or three preseason games at the very minimum to these teams. Just try to let them get their legs under them a little bit. But again, there's still a lot of questions here. First of all, if you're going to do hub cities, how are you going to sort of police the players? You know, How much are you going to let them leave the bubble and go into the city? And is that safe? How how would that work exactly? What kind of restrictions will they have? What kind of uh, freedom will they have as far as, you know, just getting out of the hotel a little bit? And we still don't know how many regular season games are we going to play? How are we going to realign the divisions? And if we do realign the divisions, will there be an all-Canada division as has been discussed? Obviously, that would limit international travel if you put all the Canadian teams in one division. So again, we still have way more questions than answers, and that's fine. You know, these are unprecedented times that we're living through. But Daly himself even admitted here that time is getting short. And the league still has a lot to sift through. And again, I just don't see how, for all the reasons I just listed, and even some of the concessions that Bill Daly made, I don't see how the puck is going to drop for the regular season on January 1st. Again, I would love to be wrong about that as long as the NHL has you know, a proper safety plan put in place and feels like it can keep its players safe and healthy. And in a nutshell, basically, we're still kind of in wait-and-see mode as far as how the next NHL season is going to work. But it is interesting to note that the NHL is still being very ambitious, still shooting for January 1st as opening day or opening night or whatever you want to call it. They want the puck for the regular season to drop on January 1st. The only other thing that I wanted to mention here before we wrap up for the day is that Michael Haley, former Ranger, he signs a one-year, $700,000 two-way deal with the Ottawa Senators. And to kind of just take it from the top with Michael Haley, definitely a career journeyman, went from the Islanders to the Rangers. He actually skated in nine games with the Rangers all the way back in the 2012-2013 season. He then moved on to the San Jose Sharks, to the Florida Panthers, back to the Sharks, and then this past season with the New York Rangers. I know there were some Ranger fans who weren't always the biggest fans of Michael Haley. You know, why do we even have this guy? He can't do anything to help us win. Look, I'll be the first one to admit that Michael Haley, not exactly a world beater with the Rangers. So I get the frustration. Uh, His game definitely left something to be desired. Kind of a one-dimensional player. But you got to keep your expectations in check when you're dealing with someone like Michael Haley. They did not bring him in to turn the Ranger franchise around and to, you know, kick this rebuild into the next gear. He was brought in on a one-year deal to be an enforcer, to watch the backs of his teammates, and to drop the gloves when the situation called for it. And he did all those things. He got into seven fights in just 22 games with the Rangers last season. And I got to say, you know, for someone who was undrafted all the way back in 2007 and he's still kicking around in the league, I think you got to tip your hat a little bit to Michael Haley because, yes, he is a one-dimensional player, but obviously uh, there's still at least something of a market for that, somebody who can just go out there and be the enforcer and be the guy to watch his teammates' backs. We don't see as many uh, strictly enforcer types in the NHL anymore, but Michael Haley is definitely one of those players. So I think you got to give him credit for, you know, continuing his NHL career here. I wasn't sure how much interest there would be. It is a two-way deal with the Senators, but... 
again, he gets a chance to crack the center's opening night roster. We'll see how he does there. But all the best to Michael Haley. Uh, hopefully, you know, he doesn't uh, drop the gloves with any of his former Ranger teammates when the Rangers play the centers this upcoming season, if they play the centers, because we still don't know how the NHL season is going to work. But yes, all the best to Michael Haley. And that will do it for today, guys. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, this is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.